Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another incredible edition of Market Impact Insights. And today we're going to explore something that I think all of us can relate to that have worked in business, and that is how to find your niche. And what I mean by that is in any growing business, uh, any emerging business, it's fairly common to be facing uh, intense competition. It doesn't matter what market you're in. It could be in technology. It could be in uh, retail could be in manufacturing, intensely competitive markets where as an emerging brand, you're in competition with a very established, very well-known, very resource-rich brand. And so the question is how to find and create your own profitable path when facing that competition. And we're going to talk today with Wes Herman, CEO of Woods Coffee, based here in uh, the Pacific Northwest, who's really found a terrific niche uh, in uh, the coffee market and uh, has really uh, developed a great track record and to share some experience with all of you that I think will be applicable across all those different challenging situations. And Wes has a very interesting background. He began his entrepreneurial journey at the ripe old age of 21. That's right, 21. And after strategically developing his first business venture, and he grew that to a multi-million dollar enterprise, he lost everything after contracting a life-threatening illness. So we're talking about significant personal challenge, and we'll, we'll get into that with Wes a bit more. After relocating to the Pacific Northwest with his uh, wife, Diane, It was really a healing process, and it was really a rebuilding process uh, with the family over the course of several years. And he worked with his wife and children to develop this regional coffee brand all the way back in 2002, and that's Woods Coffee. And we're going to get into a very interesting story with Wes about what is the origins of this Woods Coffee concept. I think you'll find it to be pretty unique. Now, the coffee itself and the guest experience at Woods Coffee includes daily scratch-made goods. And this has really become a favorite across the greater Puget Sound area. So 19 locations, 350 plus employees, this brand, Woods Coffee, is continuing to grow. And the vision is to impact as many people and communities as possible to make that positive difference. And here at Market Impact Insights, our philosophy is in business, it's all about making a positive impact every day. So I think Wes and Woods Coffee really can relate to that, you know, as part of what we're going to talk about today. And to sum it all up, the Woods Coffee way is simple. It's about serving others. It's about making a difference. And of course, last and certainly very importantly, to have fun. So That's a great segue, Wes. Uh, Really appreciate you joining Market Impact Insights today. My pleasure, Dan. Looking forward to our conversation. 
So, Wes, as I mentioned in the open, you began your journey uh, as a business leader, as an entrepreneur, when you were very, very young. And I'm curious, was starting and building your own company something that you were thinking about even as a very small child? Or was there something else that happened that really served as the inspiration for you to take that path on? That's a great question. I uh, had it modeled in my own home. So uh, my parents were folks that didn't necessarily have a lot of money. Their jobs didn't provide them uh, a lot. So they figured out in the mid-60s how to flip homes. And so they were um, buying homes and we'd move every couple of years. They'd fix them up and then sell them and we'd move to a nicer home. And so I saw the um, th- that method played out. And when I think back at what I saw, it, that was really the impetus to start me down the path of saying, you know what, I can control my own destiny. And um, with the hatred of school and the idea that I did not want to be in a uh, traditional classroom, I told my parents, uh, who were highly educated, uh, by the time I was in 10th grade, that uh, I was not destined for college, even though I was in a private uh, college prep school. So it was a a really desire, a strong desire of of mine at that point to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to take a different path. And so graduating from high school, I kind of uh, uh, decided that I was going to have to compete against those people that were going off to college. And I wanted to show them something when they returned from college. So I set uh, out to have four goals accomplished by the time I was 21. And those four goals were to uh, be married, own a home, uh, own a business, and uh, own a Mercedes-Benz. So I uh, don't know that uh, they were chronologically ordered that way, <laughs> but uh, certainly uh, they were my goals. Wow. And so I'm curious, Wes, as you were talking about uh, communicating to your parents that you wanted to pursue this outside the traditional classroom, what was their reaction? And, and even your friends, maybe several of them were, were planning to go off to college. I'm wondering what kind of reaction you got when you laid out what your, what your goals were at that point. My parents were uh, extremely supportive, uh, although they were educators and uh, involved, you know, in in a lot of classroom settings themselves. They uh, saw that that wasn't necessarily a good fit for me, and pretty much said, "Hey, you know, that's uh, not for everyone, and we we admire you, we support you, and uh, you know, do what you need to do." Uh, friends, yes, they they were, you know. Um, thinking that I was crazy and that, you know, I'd never amount to much, but uh, I did my best. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So let's talk about that early start of your your business career, the early ventures. What kind of challenges and roadblocks did you end up facing as you were developing that multi-million dollar business? And and of course, we know that there was a huge life challenge um, that you ended up facing too. But can you talk about that experience and what you took from that experience that led to your future success? Yes, I um, was working in a, a business uh, coming out of high school. And after looking at various choices and trying to decide what I was going to focus on, uh, the business actually came up for sale. So I um, uh, decided that uh, the best thing I could do at that point, because I was just newly married and I'd, I'd, we'd gotten a house. So achieved two of the first goals. Now I need to get number three. 
And uh, number three was to own a business. So uh, when it came up for sale, I told my wife, might be out of a job if I don't buy this business, so better buy this. And she said, well, what's it mean to own a business? I said, I have no idea. And uh, we went for it anyway. The challenge, the first challenge we faced was, where do we have the money or where can we come up with the money to buy this business? And so that was uh, the first challenge. And um, I was not... uh, unaccustomed to uh, my father finding money when he needed to, to uh, maybe do real estate ventures that uh, he was interested in. So I just naturally thought, well, you know what, I can find this. And I went at it and uh, found the money. That was the first challenge. Then the challenge was that I was young and I had to convince the landlord that I would be, uh, you know, able to continue this business that was already in place and that I was the uh, logical choice, although he uh, didn't think I would be successful and was not ready to lease the uh, property to me. So, you know, just just those uh, uh, immature things that you come across when you're young and uh, trying to figure out how to make it go. Eventually, uh, you know, found the money. Uh, the guy did lease to me, and we were able to get the business, uh, you know, on a, on a strong financial path. Uh, but it grew, and it grew quickly. Uh, it, grant, it, it grew in a diverse manner. We were in the construction industry and uh, we had a, a great um, clientele uh, in Beverly Hills. And so we were able to grow this thing kind of big and uh, do some amazing things with some uh, really spectacular homes. Right, right. And of course, the other uh, thing that I, I know would have been a, a challenge, right, as a young business owner is surrounding yourself with really good people, right? As you're growing that business, you need to hire employees. And I don't know how much experience you had at that coming in to that role, but can you talk a little bit about how you built the business in terms of the quality of people also, right? To help fuel that. Yeah, that's a, that's a, an interesting area Dan, to uh, study because yes, that is a, a concern in every industry, every business, you know, it's the people, right? And uh, we can't achieve anything without the people that uh, we surround ourselves with. And in those times, you know, I was young. Yes, you're right. It uh, was a challenge to find, um, you know, the, the right people to help you achieve the goals you're you're uh, moving towards. And in my case, it was um, not that difficult because I'm a people person. I loved uh, people and I loved, um, you know, all the relationship building. And so um, that was actually pretty easy for me to find the right people as we went along. Uh, Being a leader, people were naturally attracted to what I was doing. They were excited, energized by the growth. And uh, we were able to, you know, really find some some great people that uh, came alongside of me and certainly uh, filled the roles that I couldn't uh, fill myself uh, because I wasn't fully adequate to do everything at that point. And uh, certainly didn't have the understanding of how to read a a, book. profit and loss statement or a balance sheet. And uh, so I had to rely on a lot of uh, additional people to help me down those paths. And so things start to really hum. Business is growing in Beverly Hills. Life looks great. Seems like that long-term vision, it's all going to happen. And then out of left field comes this huge health challenge. So to the extent that you feel comfortable, Wes, can you talk a little bit about that experience and and what kind of, I guess, transformation or altering of your uh, life path that created? When you live in Southern California, you feel like uh, 
at least in those days, we felt invincible and that uh, other parts of the market, other parts of the country would, you know, have a downturn or have an experience that, uh, you know, was, uh, um, you know, less than straight up and to the right. And so when we lived in California, you know, these things were all working great. Everything was great. Uh, business was great. Uh, real estate was cranking. Uh, there was no um, downturn. Everything just kept going in the right direction. So we grew this business and over about a 15-year period, and we made nothing but money. Everything was great. And, uh, um, and then I, I contracted a case of viral encephalitis. And viral encephalitis is a um, something that attacks your brain. It uh, swells the brain, doesn't allow the blood to flow, and you actually uh, more people die of that than survive it. And so um, I contracted that in a public park on a weekend, and I was one of seven that uh, contracted it, and I was the only one that lived. So it was a, a fairly wow. serious deal. And it took me a year of being on my back of you know full recovery, and then about a five year period of, uh, of of ongoing recovery until I was able to kind of restore and or be back in the uh, uh, normal flow. So yes, that was uh, the the impetus uh, around um, you know the first layer, and then right at that same time in Southern California, early '90s, we had a downturn in the economy something that I had never experienced, something that, uh, you know, only someone who's brash and immature and just, you know, going for it and just didn't see it coming. We got hit by that at the same time. So um, those two uh, punches really sent us, uh, you know, to a place where we lost absolutely everything. Wow. Wow. I mean, that is the ultimate body blow, uh, health, and then of course the business. And so, Wes, if you can go back to that point, you can probably remember it vividly, kind of, I guess, the, the, the trough, right, in terms of where everything just kind of crashed. I mean, what what was going through your mind at that point? I mean, do you, do you remember and, and what, uh, I guess, helped you get through that? What were the keys to help you push through that so you could achieve this bright future uh, that laid ahead? Yeah, you know, when when you're going through that, uh, you know, it's a it's a reactionary time, and I was not uh, in a good health place to be able to think clearly, and so I was relying on people within our company to do things uh, that uh, weren't necessarily being done the way that I would want them to, and it uh, you know just compounded the the things that were happening. So at some point, you just realize, you know what, this is out of your control. There's not much you can do, and. Uh, uh, it kind of evaporates. Um, and I do recall, you know, every moment of that time, it was painful, uh, having to go an entire year with, uh, zero income and, uh, living by faith. And it was really my uh, faith in God that, uh, pre- prevented me from, you know, being, um, distraught or, uh, in a place where, you know, thinking this could be much worse, really was confident in in allowing uh, God to lead us into uh, the new ventures we'd be going into. Right, right. So, so you get through the worst of uh, the the health crisis, and uh, you make a decision to relocate, and you come up to the northwest, uh, I guess, north of of Seattle, and and then what? So, to talk a little bit about that transition uh, to kind of a whole different uh, environment, right? A whole different lifestyle. Yeah, it's it's hard for anybody to understand, you know, how you give up uh, something that is 
um, something you've enjoyed, um, you know, what, what you see in the movies and so on and so forth in Southern California. It's all that, it, uh, you know, you really envision. And uh, we had traveled to the Northwest uh, uh, for about five years, and uh, we had loved it. And we thought, you know, this would be a great place to uh, raise our kids. At that point, we had four children. And uh, so we decided that, uh, you know, we had nothing more to hold us in Southern California. Uh, we had lost absolutely everything. So we uh, moved to a 45-acre farm out in the country and uh, started uh, life over again. Wow. And, uh, and, and I take it from your background, you, you didn't have uh, specific farming experience, right? So that's another new, uh, new adventure to take on. Yeah. When you move, move from Southern California, where, you know, like uh, an acre is a big thing uh, to see 45 acres. I had no idea what that was or what that meant. And uh, so we weren't uh, necessarily farmers. We, we leased the land out and allowed others to do, you know, that. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was just a completely different lifestyle living, you know, in a farm setting. Uh, but it was really the desire of our heart to uh, have our kids in a, in a great environment where uh, we could raise them, uh, we could teach them at home and, and go about uh, doing what we're doing. Yeah, great. And so from that environment came this idea that, that ultimately resulted in Woods Coffee. So can you tell that story? How, how did it all happen? How did the concept come together and, and really allow you to move forward? So after uh, a, a number of years of, of, of healing and, and really getting my health back, um, I went to work for a company that was a product development company that uh, had one product that we sold into the coffee industry. And so it took me across the United States and I was in every uh, coffee shop selling this product and showing it to the big corporations and, you know, getting some traction. Uh, but I, I wasn't as in, uh, impressed with what we were selling as much as I was impressed with the coffee shops I was in. And so I'd come home on the weekends. Uh, we were homeschooling our children and they would talk about coffee all the time because there was no Red Bull or Monster. Uh, this was, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the, thing that people gravitated towards even at that age. And it was really becoming very popular to have iced coffee beverages that uh, had a lot of sweetener and things like that. And it was almost like uh, the gateway into the coffee industry. So um, these these kids were drinking a ton of coffee. I'd, I'd have seen lots of coffee shops across the United States. And I'd come home and we'd talk about these. And uh, one weekend, my wife said, well, why don't we start a coffee shop? And so uh, from that, I thought, well, maybe a better idea would be to teach our kids how to write a business plan as part of their homeschooling and to see if we could uh, teach them something important and then come up with, uh, you know, the model. And uh, if we could come up with something that was attractive enough and it could work, then could we go execute it together? So that was kind of the beginning stages of that. Yeah. So it was a true homeschool project. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, all about, uh, you know, how do you, number one, teach your kids a valuable life lesson? And then number two, um, you know, through that teaching and, and that co-learning of, of what this looks like, uh, you know, we created a, a something that we could take and a concept that we thought was uh, viable. Right, right. And and so the name Woods Coffee and, and everything that that conveys 
uh, which you can close your eyes, you can visualize a lot of different uh, images associated with that and the Northwest. But uh, I, I believe your daughter came up with that name. Is that right? She did. Uh, yeah, my oldest daughter. Uh, you know, when you start a business, they say that one of the hardest things you can possibly do is uh, come up with the name of the business. And so we would sit around uh, the dining room table and we'd list out names, we'd cross them off. And this went on for weeks and we were just really uh, you know, tired of the whole process. And so we took a break and I said, let's come back in a week and we'll revisit this. And in that time, she came back and said, hey, dad, I've got it. Let's call it Woods Coffee. She said it has to do uh, with the Pacific Northwest, the environment, what this looks like. And, uh, and we can theme the store around it. And, uh, and, and then I thought, well, no one else in the United States really has that name or anything close to it. Uh, and trust me, I had seen every name of every coffee shop across the United States, and there was tons of duplication and some things that, you know, we just didn't want to, um, uh, get involved in because it just looked like something that somebody else was doing. So right. this was truly unique and, uh, gave us something that we could, uh, really, um, build our own brand around. Right. And. Wes, you know that there are many experts, uh, you've seen this a lot, where this recommendation that, hey, it's not a great idea to go into business with your immediate family members sometimes because of the stress and the conflict that 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 could have. There could be a negative impact to the overall fiber of the family. So there's there's certainly a school of thought that says, uh, be wary of uh, really jumping in and and being in business with family members, but it seems like your experience has been so positive. And I'm curious, how have you been able to make it work so well? Well, we've worked hard at it from day one. And um, it's it's a lot easier when you can indoctrinate your children at a very early age before they really uh, have their own ideas of, you know, what they uh, believe in and, and uh, they're still following uh, parents uh, advice and, you know, going along with what we're doing. And then, you know, there's a natural excitement about starting something new and being part of it. And so we kind of all just uh, uh, gravitated together. We were close family anyway. And uh, as, as we went along, we set some boundaries. We laid out some rules as to, you know, how we would interact with each other, that the business didn't become, you know, just everything we talked about all the time, but it was something that we could compartmentalize and say, okay, this is now a, you know, home environment. Let's not talk about these things in the home. And uh, so it was really um, uh, separating those things out and really being diligent about uh, how we have you know, our family life and then how we, you know, transition into business life. And then it was, you know, quickly uh, because my oldest daughters were uh, 19 and 17, it was quickly into, okay, now we have, um, you know, a fiance and, you know, there's a married in and now there's grandchildren. And so this is not just, you know, one of those things that, uh, you know, is isolated in that moment in time. It's ongoing. And uh, we work hard on this and with uh, several members of the family still in the business and then a married in family member in the business, you know, it becomes even more complex. Uh, so it's, it's been good. And uh, I would say that we've been without any issues per se. And that's only because, you know, we, we work hard at that part of it as well. Yeah, it, it seems like putting those boundaries in and getting everyone on the same page is really important as to not make the work conversation just constantly be the, the focus of everything. So 
putting that uh, mutual effort in really made the difference. That's for sure. So the retail coffee business, and you mentioned it, you had the experience, you've been across the country. There's no shortage of uh, brands, but of course, we know that there's a mega brand, a mega global brand. You've got it right in your backyard here in the Seattle area, uh, Starbucks, but you're out competing. You're a new brand, Woods Coffee. You're starting to build to build awareness, uh, build uh, loyalty, in uh, all of that. So what do you think has been the key as you've grown this business over the past 18 years, how you've been able to find your own special niche for Woods Coffee, you know, in terms of either location selection, uh, the kind of experience that you're delivering to guests when they walk in, uh, to uh, one of your locations, what do you think has been the key to allow you to be successful even when you're facing competition from the big brand that has more locations, more financial resources, maybe more just brand awareness, affinity, all of that stuff? Uh, what's been the key for you? Well, you do. You have mentioned, you know, the the uh, the big behemoth, the uh, the eight hundred pound gorilla. You know, it's the it's the thing that uh, uh, any business would be terrified of. You know, to have a huge uh, behemoth that uh, just rules. Um, you know, the entire United States and specifically the Pacific Northwest. So we had to really carve out our niche, and we had to um, you know be diligent about that. Um, when we started, we were really intent on making it a comfortable environment, a place where people could um, relax, uh, that the interiors were not too over the top, but they were actually made you feel like you were in your own home. And, uh, you know, we put in fireplaces and leather seating and, you know, comfort places that people felt uh, warm and, and that they were very inviting and that in and of itself uh, was something that Howard Schultz uh, wrote about um, right after we had opened, maybe a couple of years in. He had uh, noted that uh, there were people that had entered the market that were doing a much better job than they were at creating these environments where people wanted to be in those spaces. And so we felt like we were really gaining some traction at that point, you know, to have Howard Schultz actually recognize that, you know, maybe we were one of those people that was doing that. And uh, so, yeah, it was tough. Um, I, I've just been writing a book. And uh, in that book, I, I was really detailed um, this weekend, actually, about how um, it's really very difficult to go up against someone like that. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, just in theory and, and how you think about it. But, you know, when it comes down to just the practical things of how are you going to be able to get a site to, to have a, a full-blown coffee shop that can actually do a, a reasonable business um, when they eat up all the real estate around, you know, and that was very complicated. And it uh, is part of our story and part of why we've been successful. We worked extremely hard at creating spaces, finding uh, properties that would actually work uh, to our benefit and things that maybe weren't on the radar for them, uh, you know, places that we could refurbish and create that weren't necessarily traditional coffee shop settings. So those were the, some of the things we did and uh, and have done over the last 18 years. Well, I, I know I've been in several of your locations and uh, I can attest to, you know, you just go in and there's just this uh, element of just comfortable, right? Not pretentious, just a, a place to 
relax, um, have casual conversations, maybe have some business conversations, one-to-one, small group. And so I, I do think that emotional connection that is created just based on by design uh, and in that physical space, I think you really hit on something there. Well, it was definitely uh, intentional on our part. And uh, having a background in construction, it was easy for us to uh, you know, create spaces that looked and felt unique, uh, but that maybe didn't cost you know us a, a fortune. Um, the, looking back now, we have several former Starbucks executives that come to us, and we we talk with them from time to time, and uh, they say that uh, they were actually watching us, and and uh, they could they were surprised that we could um, survive because we were putting so much into our spaces in terms of, of what they perceived as cost. Uh, what we were doing was being smart and diligent about how to build out the spaces, something we have done to date from the very beginning. We've built all of our own spaces. We have not um, gone out and hired contractors and paid mm. enormous uh, difference. Uh, uh, my son is actually the one who came along and uh, from age 21 forward, he's built all of our stores. Oh, so wow. it's been a significant advantage to us. Okay. Okay. And so uh, we've talked a little bit about the physical space and anything in terms of product, right? Any sort of focus in terms of just the coffee, the, the fresh baked goods, anything that you did there that you think was important to generate uh, loyalty and, and be successful? Yes, uh, that's a, a, a great point. Um, you know, we in the early years we just fought and, and and struggled to even come close to what Starbucks was doing uh, with uh, um, in terms of food sales, and they were the leader. And in those days, uh, it was a big deal because ten percent of their sales was uh, food. And then as time has gone by, you've seen how food has changed and have become more dominant in the coffee space. And uh, so we, along the way, uh, decided to open our own bakery, and that bakery had to be a, a component of what we were doing so we could have a commissary that we create fresh uh-huh, goods uh-huh. every single day and then deliver them to our stores uh, fresh daily. And uh, that was a big deal and a big game changer. And so today, we're actually closer to 25% of our sales oh, wow. in food, and um, and and we're We've clearly uh, surpassed Starbucks as their percentage of food uh, because we're doing something from scratch that is all natural, you know, good ingredients, and uh, people gravitate towards that. That's been a, a growing part of our business and a big part of our business. Great. And so moving from product and experience over to process. So, Wes, uh, technology and innovation that plays a role in, in most any business. And I'm curious for you, how has that made a difference in terms of leveraging uh, the technological innovation and in trying to to bring that technology into your operations and your process? Has there been any sort of unexpected speed bumps you've faced along the way, just given you know n- the natural dynamics of, of just how things change so rapidly? Yeah, they change rapidly, and and uh, I thought they were changing rapidly. You know, even um, fifteen years ago, and now it seems like they change monthly. Um, 
And uh, we, we were, you know, uh, ones who had a simple formula, um, very basic, simple methods in which we operated. Uh, we actually started our business and probably went to, I don't know, three or four locations before we uh, advanced past a, a traditional cash register. And uh, then, you know, it was like, okay, now we need to get serious. We need to have a point of sale. And that point of sale was very rudimentary in those days and, and uh, was simple and didn't have all the uh, bells and whistles you see today to the point where today, when you look at a point of sale system, that system has to have, um, you know, a, a social media component. It has to have uh, payment components that are, are, are unique and different. And uh, in the end, we don't have the ability as a uh, independent company our size to have what Starbucks has. Uh, Starbucks has robust uh, systems and technology that uh, just makes it so easy for them to uh, gain more and more uh, of their customers. And so we have to carve out our little unique spaces. Uh, you know, technology is a big part of what we have done. Uh, but certainly we feel like we've always been behind the curve, um, you know, because whatever they're doing, uh, we get, you know, several years later, once somebody develops something that uh, will work for us. Um, but yeah, early on, we actually thought, hey, you know what, we've got a, a market advantage because we have in our backyard, a company that has a new processing system and it was a uh, kind of a, if you look at it now, it's it's a it's a hokey system, but it was cutting edge at that time, and nobody else was doing it, and it was technology driven. So we jumped on it really quickly, and uh, we struggled through with that for a couple of years, and then finally pulled the plug and said, okay, that's not going to work. Uh, but you know, it's it's finding those things that, that's a road bump, right? Uh, yeah. that, uh, we we overcame and you know figured out how to just kind of pivot and go in a different direction. Um, and to this day, we're we're continually um, you know testing and trying new things. We're just now rolling out uh, the idea, and we're testing in several stores of uh, online ordering, so that you can actually okay. order in advance and then pick up in the store. Yeah. Just- you would in a Starbucks. So yeah, the, the technology is, is uh, quickly changing and is, is just such an important part of our business that it's, uh, it cannot be, um, you know, understated. Right. And of course, we're in the midst of this, at times, very scary with a lot of unknowns, global pandemic, it's changed the whole fabric of how people are living, um, how people are working. And so in the context of that, Wes, are there any other pieces of advice that you give to entrepreneurs that are still building their businesses and they're dealing with this set of challenges right now in the pandemic? Anything you'd offer in the way of advice? You know, it's uh, really important right now and, and never clear uh, as, as it is right now, the, the opportunities that um, are coming available and that are, are there. I had a friend last week say, it's really interesting that uh, you'd be judging your business now as to how it can withstand a pandemic, uh, something we've never thought about. And that idea of how do we guard ourselves against that is really important now, uh, because I doubt this will be the fir- the last time we see something like this. Um, and uh, so, you know, in our case, uh, we were blessed to have uh, drive-throughs that we were able to continue and, and keep going. Um and uh, that's been, you know, our lifeblood. But yes, the the opportunities that uh, are there are something that every entrepreneur should be looking for. You know, what are those opportunities? How can you you 
do something unique in this environment. Uh, just had a guy this morning that was, uh, you know, had come up with his own brand of PPE stuff. So, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that was obviously not something that was probably on his mind six months ago, but now it is, you know, part of his business and part of what he's doing. Um, uh, had another friend who, uh, was in the, um, uh, spirits business and he quickly pivoted and went into hand sanitizer. Uh, those are some of the opportunities that arise that you, you cannot even, you know, uh, predict, but you know, it's always as an entrepreneur looking for opportunities, seeing something where other people don't and how do you drive that and how do you create your own niche and brand? Yeah, it's interesting, Wes, we've had conversations with some other thought leaders on the podcast and, if you look at history, some of the greatest innovations, the trend is the greatest innovations come during times of great disruption, right? Economic downturn uh, or other other crises. So it seems like from those situations still, uh, that can be a motivator, I guess, to think more creatively, think more out of the box. It can be an impetus that ultimately results in lasting innovation. So uh, history teaches us a lesson there. That's for sure. And I don't think uh, we we can either do one of two things. We can either sit there and wring our hands and worry about, you know, what the conditions are and people dying and, you know, how you're going to get around this, or do you, you know, get creative and come up with something new and innovative that uh, kind of uh, drives you and creates that uh, energy to get you out of these times when people are so uh, introverted. Well, as we start to wrap things up, a final question. When you think about your experience in building the Woods Coffee brand and developing these strong customer relationships over time, what most excites you about the future? You know, I think that uh, uh, there is clearly great opportunity. Uh, It's kind of funny to think back that, uh, um, you know, this idea of a coffee shop, a gathering place. Um, something that we've seen, you know, over uh, decades uh, that is so a part of our um, U.S. American culture and fabric that even today that's still something that is attractive and even more attractive now when we've been isolated and uh, away from each other that we want that warm, reassuring comfortable place that we can meet with friends and talk. And it feels like uh, life is a little more normal when we can do that. Um, It's uh, been phenomenal to watch how people, you know, are so patient and willing to wait and how they are receptive and appreciative of the fact that we're there. Um, You know, so as we look to the future, man, we're excited about uh, all all the avenues we can go down into with coffee. You know, we've grown a strong brand. We're vertically integrated. Uh, There's nobody that does anything in our stores except for ourselves. We deliver all of our own goods. You know, it's, it's like this. We've got our arms around our business. And then how can we go out? You know, how do we expand out even with new stores or new areas of business? So uh, we're excited about uh, where we go. And, uh, you know, there's uh, uh, nothing in the tank that says, hey, you know what? We're done. It's, uh, you know, this is no fun. The pandemic didn't work out. Um, we're, we're more energized now than ever and excited about uh, what the future holds. Well, certainly a lot to be excited about and certainly a lot to be proud of. Wes, congratulations on the success that you've had, a inspirational and motivational sharing of your experiences today. Really appreciate you joining Market Impact Insights. My pleasure.
And a reminder, if you like this podcast, please take a few minutes to go out and rate and review. The feedback is very important. You can do that quickly, for example, on Apple Podcast. And as always, a reminder to keep going to marketimpactnow.com to check out the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.